What's up, what's up, as promised on Big Thuggin'? I will be reading chapter one from the Auto Thug Agafel Turk. If y'all been under a rock, I have put a book out about my life. You know, if y'all want to find out about the shootout with the police that I had, um, my time with Cash Money on tour, the Cash Money Rough Rider tour, time I was in prison, my growing up, growing up in the Magnolia, my heroin and cocaine addiction, fuck it, just everything, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to read chapter one, and, you know, I want y'all to take a journey with me, man, as I open up my life to y'all, and I hope that y'all, you know, find it in y'all heart, man, to accept the fact that none of us are perfect, you know, we all go through things, and, you know, maybe reading or listening to my book or hearing my story can, you know, help somebody in your life or can help you, you know, you never know, but this is chapter one for the Ones who just tuning in on Big Thuggin', the auto thugography of Turk. Chapter 1, My Genesis. Understanding is what shows and proves the completion of knowledge and wisdom, man, woman, and child. Understanding is a clear mental picture. It is the original child, which is the star. Life in the project was my only reality. My mom and I both were from the Melfamine, the Melf housing project in New Orleans, Louisiana. My mama Pamela, a.k.a. Noonie, was the second to the oldest of Grandma Evelyn's four children. Auntie Deborah was the oldest. Auntie Kim was the youngest of the three girls. Uncle Floyd was the baby of the family. Coming up, Noonie felt rejected by Grandma, who seemed to favor Noonie's older siblings. Although mama possessed a natural possession for school and was receiving a good education, the feeling of being an outsider, even within her own home, caused her eyes to wander within the projects. She was attempting to fill a void that she believed the loving household should have provided. Coming up in the late 70s, early 80s, era in New Orleans, searching for love in the Mel Project could have proven disastrous for a cutie pie of Nuna's age, but she was no fool. Being raised in the project would tend to arm even the most innocent ones with a survival kit, and Noonie possessed the wits of a woman that doubled her 16 years of age. The average troublemaking juvenile seemed to turn off to Noonie, no matter how much in abundance they were throughout the mouth. She also quietly decided that, besides being physically attractive, the other qualification that any potential boyfriend must have was a job. She figured if her boyfriend had a job, then he would have very little time to run around the project like many other guys she witnessed doing so daily and despised. Noonie proceeded to analyze and observe the boys available around the mouth who were her age, which was in direct defiance of Grandma Evelyn's strictest principles. There wasn't going to be any dating boys while any of her teenage daughters resided under her roof. On my paternal side, Tab, a.k.a. Tab Virgil, was Grandma Bertha's third oldest son of seven boys, but she had ten children in all. <laughs> From oldest to youngest, there were Charles, Wesley, Tab, Jake, Clifton, Jerome, Calvin, the baby boy, a.k.a. Black Boy, and three girls, Pamela, Malene, and Ronnie, who was the youngest of the girls. The Virgils lived in the same section of the mouth on the Rattle Street, which was considered the good side. 
Noonie and her family stayed on Clio Street right across the courtway. Thalia Street and Martin Luther King Boulevard located on the other side of the project were considered the bad side. Killing and hustling were in heavy rotation there, the kind of activities that Virgil's baby brother Black Boy seemed to be naturally attracted to. Ever since I can remember, Black Boy was always hustling to support Grandma Bertha's side of my family. He was passing out 20s and $50 bills to us before we even knew what money was. And I guess you could say that even street hustlers have principles because Black Boy never hustled on the good side, only on the bad side of the mouth. Living across the courtway from Noonie, Tad was caught by her eyes. And with his gift for cooking, Tad easily found employment in a New Orleans restaurant-saturated area, making him stand out to Noonie. And if that wasn't qualification enough, he was also one-fourth of an up-and-coming street doo-wop group that performed melodies without instruments on a local level. Noonie and Tad secretly dated for the sake of Grandma Evelyn's opposition, but before long they figured their feelings for each other were genuine and publicly announced their love and relationship. The 80s were crazy in country, was so colorful and active. Even inside the New Orleans ghettos, a young Tad had no time to waste on getting high or drunk. His life was bubbling with ambition and vitality. But when Noonie suddenly announced that she was pregnant, his attitude toward drinking was compromised. To this day, nobody but Tad know for sure why he turned to alcohol. Maybe it was the heaviness of the responsibilities of fatherhood. Who knows? But one thing is for sure, young Tad never ducked or denied the burden of his son and his responsibilities, even with drinking now becoming a permanent part of his life. In New Orleans at Charity Hospital on the 8th day of February in the 1981st year of thy Lord, an 18-year-old Noonie gave birth to a healthy baby boy. I was given Tad's full name, making me Tab Virgil Jr. As my mother and father's first child, my birth affected both families from the mouth projects, drawing them closer. Early in Noonie and Tad's relationship, the Virgil family quickly embraced Noonie, especially Tad's sister Pamela, who shared the same first name with her. Having the same name, it seemed only right that they became closer than any of the other siblings. But after my birth, Mama was now officially a member of the already huge Virgil family. To both sides of the family, I, Tab Jr., was now just as important as baby Jesus of Nazareth some 2,000 plus years ago. My birth also helped completely break Grandma Evelyn, who was enjoying her second grandchild just one year after her oldest girl, Deborah, had given birth to a little girl, Neosha, a.k.a. Buki. With both grandmothers only a short coat, way walk away, a game of tug of war had begun, but instead of rope, the two grannies pulled me back and forth. My first few years of life were as perfect as life in the mouth project could be for a family. Unfortunately, Taz drinking had picked up momentum. He even had a best friend named Sean that he now dubbed as his drinking partner. Sean was also Buki's father. None of this deterred Tad from being a father to me. As a matter of fact, it was during this period when Pops had never known a sober day that our relationship intensified so much that I had become spoiled, a spurl, like we say in New Orleans. In an attempt to break me from my spurl rotten condition, Tad abandoned me on a city bus. I was only four years old, and Pops was always intoxicated. We were riding the bus down Canal Street en route to the Lowe's Theater located on the strip. Suddenly, the bus came to a halt at a stop, and Tad made his exit without me. Panic struck my stunned face and sent my heart thumping harder and faster. 
Daddy, I cried and stood up. Daddy, the bus continued toward his next scheduled stop, and I watched my pops pass by me in a flash because I was by myself. The two-minute ride seemed like eternity. For the first time in my young life, I experienced the shock of being without the only comfort and protection I had known. At the next stop, as planned by Ted and the bus driver, a friend he'd known for years, he re-entered the bus to find me with my face wet with tears. Yet I was quiet, as if trying to figure out what had just happened. And perhaps the actual value effect of the bus incident on my little developing mind will never be made completely known, but for an intoxicated Ted, he was satisfied. I do, however, believe the entire plot by my father was for toughening me up. Eventually, we did make it to the movies, but I was glad as hell to get back home to the mouth. For anybody not familiar with being raised in the project, this may of course sound ridiculous, but straight up and down like 6 o'clock, I couldn't have imagined having more fun coming up anywhere else. I had both of my grandmas only a court way walk away from each other. Right there in one project, I had seven uncles, five aunts, my grandpa Johnny, who was Grandma Evelyn's husband, and was seen like a thousand cousins. To me, Grandma Evelyn was never the woman that Mama described as the woman that raised her. I always figured Mama tales of being black sheep were a bit exaggerated. Grandma even sparred my cousin. Grandma Evelyn sparred my cousin Buki and me, who I was the closest to. Buki and I did everything together. We even attended the same nursery just down the street from the mouth called St. John. Of my two grannies, Grandma Evelyn was a better cook and used to make the best brown rice and gravy, corn and turkey necks. Grandma Bertha's cooking would always be gummy and hard. She gonna kill me from saying this. My dad and uncles had all been raised on our cooking, and they were all very well acquainted with her good and bad meals. No wonder they would volunteer to cook or help when one of the bad meals were on the way. There were so many miles to feed at Grandma Bertha's house that she used to place the bowls on the stove with our names on them. Now that was ghetto living. One Fourth of July, as I watched from across the courtway at Grandma Evelyn's, all my cousins were at Grandma Bertha's having fun, popping firecrackers. For some unknown reason, Grandma Evelyn wouldn't let me go over there. Boy, was I mad. I grew even more furious when my father took the fireworks he bought me and let my cousins have them. I guess the merging of both sides of the family caused by my birth had weakened over the years. There was a disconnect that seemed to be rooted in my mother. While growing up, she felt as if she had been overlooked by her mom in favor of her siblings. Now, years later, I was suffering because of generational drama. Yeah, yeah, man, you know, that's the first chapter, you know. Um, make sure that y'all tune back in. You know, I will be reading all through the book, you know, for the ones that interested. Y'all make sure y'all come back, you know, um, on Big Thugging, man. That was the auto-thugography of Turk. You feel me? Y'all stay up.